Hey, one of the things that I love to do in our church is every once in a while just call out our folks who do tech because the only time that we pay attention to them is when something goes wrong. So let's just give it up for these guys back here. And just... Thank you. Oh, man, what a great day. First of all, 7th through ninth graders, welcome. Glad that you guys are here. We're going to give a little bit of summary of what we've been doing in this room tonight, but I know that God is going to speak to you because that's what he promises to do when we open up the scriptures. But what a day we've had. I mean, there's just an adventure every day that awaits us at family camp. We never really know what we're going to get into until we get into it. And that mini golf construction process, my goodness, was that cool. I know for our group, we were just like focused on our little hole and we would watch that. And then I got talking to Rich and then I turned around and looked at a full nine hole mini golf course. I mean, come on, that's so cool. And then you look at all the creativity that was in there and that we all got to work as a team. What a great thing. And the, the slip and slide. Um, never seen one of those before. <laughs> the other thing that I hadn't seen before is like a two footer. Uh, George. <laughs> wow. Did anybody else watch George go down that thing? I mean, if you're looking at what it means to live a life to the full, that little guy would fly in. Here's what I noticed. Like, I just watched it. He would go down with so much energy, and this happened with some of the other kids too, but George would disappear. Did you see him disappear? Like, George was straight gone. And then all of a sudden, George would emerge, and he was full of bubbles. And the next thing George started to do was he ran back up the hill as fast as he possibly could. And George doesn't get lines yet. So George just goes right to the front of the line and just fires it up right back down the hill. And it was such a joy. What a gift to just be able to see that. That was so awesome. Like, it makes me want to do it tomorrow, just like George. How about you? Let's do that. Tomorrow, let's just fly around just like George. We'll figure out the line thing later. It's going to be great. <laughs> but I think today there's been a prevailing question that we've all been asking in our families. And it's, is it you or the well water? <laughs> Some of you got that. Some of you got that. I mean, sometimes you're like, oh boy, it's time for a shower. Or have you already? You know, you just don't know. <laughs> That's the beauty. It's... Some of you need to think about that a little bit more, too, I think. But hey, it's been a gift to be together today, and I hope that we've been thinking about unity. You know, kids who are new to this room this night, we have been looking at the book of Ephesians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church at an ancient city called Ephesus. And one of the things that we read in that book is this little two-word phrase that he uses over and over and over again, and it's in Christ. And it tells us the difference of what it means when we follow Jesus, what becomes different about us. In Christ, we learned a couple nights ago, or was it a couple nights ago or last night? Was it just yesterday? It was just yesterday. We've been living a full life here, friends. That we have every spiritual blessing. This morning, we learned that we are unified in Christ, and tonight what we're going to do is we're going to learn about what it means to be an imitator of God. Because that's what the Apostle Paul calls us to, to be an imitator of God. So one of the things that I love about the book of Ephesians is the first three chapters Paul focuses on reminding those early Christians, those early followers of Jesus, who they were in Christ. We're holy, redeemed, blameless in his sight. And then the second half really gets to what do you do with that now. And so we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 17. But I think tonight, do we have 
paper and pens. Okay, I'm wondering if we could just pass those out right now as I'm starting to kind of warm up here. One of the things that I'd like for us to do tonight, and I'm gonna walk us through this exercise, is if you did not, maybe some of you I've seen you have a journal or a Bible, some of you even have like a little iPad that you've been taking notes on. What I wanna do is just walk us through a little bit of an exercise that I think is gonna help make this sticky, but also just give us maximum room, no matter what our age is, to be able to listen to what God has to say to us tonight. And I'm gonna give you instructions in that. But I wanna start just by saying this. We all imitate something or someone. Would you agree with that? From a very early age, we begin to imitate the things that we see. After all, when you think about it, we come into this world, we might be able to make noises, but those noises are not intelligible. And then we start to put words together, and then we start to put mannerisms together. And kids, maybe you've heard this, you're just like your dad, or you're just, you look just like your mom. And part of that, yes, is your physical appearance, but sometimes it's the things that you imitate that you've seen, maybe in your parents. I know for me as a kid, I played baseball. Raise your hand if you played baseball or softball growing up. Awesome. Raise your hand if you don't like raising hands in moments like this. Yes, great. Thank you. Thanks for being honest. I don't, I don't either. But when I was growing up, I was in the heyday of the early 80s, mid-80s, late 80s, and the early 90s. And if you were a baseball fan in the state of Minnesota, life was good. Amen? Because we had some serious runs. Some serious runs. I was too young and 87 to actually stay up to hang to watch the Twins world win the World Series. I fell asleep. And my parents woke me up when they freaked out when they finally pulled it off. But then in 1991, I was old enough and I was able to see game six. Kirby Puckett hit that home run, kicking us into game seven, and then eventually everything would happen. But I mean, a couple of weeks ago, as we were celebrating our daughter's birthday, we went to the Twins game and we went into this area that had a bunch of pictures. It was Paul Molitor. Frankie Sweet Music Viola with the mustache. Are you with me? Okay, we've got Gary Gaetti hanging out on third base. Greg Gagne at shortstop. Juan Berenguer coming in to close the game. I can tell who's of that era. We're over here. <laughs> I'm seeing a little bit of reactions. But those were some great days. And as a kid growing up playing baseball, one of the things that I knew that I wanted to be like was like these people who I was watching play professional sports. But there was no one in my early baseball journey that influenced me more than number 34. Kirby Puckett, right? I mean, as a kid, man, it was so fun. It was electric to watch him play baseball. Be out in center field, running after, jumping into the fence. But he would have this iconic move. Now this was back in the day when we were first starting. And this was coach pitch. Kids growing up in baseball, there were no slings. None of that. This was just dads in like coaching shorts and high socks that were coming out to the mound to throw pitches to us. I had my jersey. We were Oklahoma, like we were all states in this league. And then for whatever reason, as I look back, like my parents had me wear jeans. <laughs> I know. It's hilarious. It'd be like me like rolling up to the baseball diamond in what I'm wearing right now. Okay, I'm ready to go. But I had this bat, it was a bomb bat, and it hit bombs, like I hit home runs, and if you got it into the outfield at that point, you get a home run, right? But I started to do this thing, and it was when I batted. And 
I didn't really understand it, but I was watching Kirby Puckett do it. And so what I would do is I would step into the batter's box, and even before the pitcher, the coach, started his windup, I would start kicking my leg up because I felt like I needed to do that. I didn't know when, it didn't compute, I was just imitating what I saw. Like that, if I was going to be good at baseball, I needed to kick my leg up. And I kept doing this until the pitch was finally thrown. And after I did this so much, like it had nothing to do with my swing, I probably put my feet down and just swiped at it. And finally my dad corrected me, he's like, there's timing, son. Like, you don't need to kick your leg up when the coach comes to the mound. Like, wait until the ball is heading your direction, and then wind up and swing. All that computed later. The other thing that I remember imitating was when I concentrated, I stuck my tongue out. And that was to emulate number 23, Michael Jordan. But it was also just because what I didn't realize is I was watching my dad every time he's focusing, tongue like straight out. I would always do that. Why? Because we're looking for sources to imitate. We're looking for information in which to become. And what we hear tonight, as it relates to our faith, is that we are called in Christ to be imitators of God. At the very top of your paper, what I'd like you to do right now is just write the words at the very top, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Just write at the very top. We're going to fill this paper out I've got more that will come. But that's the, con- that's the core of the message tonight. Because in Ephesians 5.1, here's what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as his beloved children. So we are so loved by God. And the return on God's investment of his love into our hearts is for us to imitate him. And we're going to talk about that. But... Also, one of the things that I want to just share tonight is anytime that you hear the word therefore in the Bible, what's the question that we need to ask? What's it therefore? Because there's context. What's it therefore? Anytime we see therefore, be imitators of God, what's it therefore? And what that word is is a bridge from what was before that passage into what is going to be communicated by God in that moment. So what I want to do is just kind of walk this out. The first thing that we see is all the way back to Ephesians 4, 17. If you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. If you have your phone, just open it up to Ephesians 4, 17. I just want to walk this by bit by bit. Real quick, let me summarize this. What Paul says to not do is do not imitate the world. Do not imitate the world. We hear it emphasized in verse 17. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That's what he says to these early followers of Jesus. I tell you this, which he's about to say, and I insist on it in the Lord. Do not imitate the world. Why? Paul writes, because their hearts are hardened. That's a key sickness of the world. There's hardened hearts out in the world. What, why? What, what is the big deal about that? Well, what we hear in the teachings of Jesus and also in the journey of Christ is if our hearts are hard, then the seed of life, of the word that God wants to plant in our hearts won't actually take root. Let me illustrate this. Uh, The last two summers, if you've cared about your lawn, it's been a rough go, right? 
our lawn is brutal. I mean, there's like crabgrass and all kinds of stuff growing all over the place. And there's multiple spots in our lawn that have grown so hard, the soil, that you can't get seed in there. So instead of just dumping seed on, anybody else out there trying to get your lawns going? What you have to do is you have to dig up the old stuff and then you have to put new soil on there, make sure that it's soft and ready and receptive, and then water it. I feel so nerdy, like every morning I'm out there like with this hose. Like watering. And all of that would be for nothing if the soil was still hard. If the soil was still hard. Paul calls, God calls us, do not imitate the world because their hearts are hardened. The world is filled with all kinds of things that are going to pull us down and create hardened hearts within us. Do not imitate it. So I want to ask this question. What do we imitate that is not for the benefit of our souls? What do you imitate that's not for the benefit of your souls? I was just thinking about this this afternoon, and I think it's really unique. It's probably different for all of us, but I think as adults, maybe two for students, but I think as adults, one of the key issues that we have is we compare. We compare all the time. We compare with our neighbors. We compare with our friends. What like, place they've gotten to in life, or the things that they have, or how they look. We feel like we need to get to a certain milestone before age whatever. And then what that happens to do is we just then think that that's the behavior that we have to emulate and imitate. Do not imitate the world. Kids, I wonder who you're looking to. You know, in this day and age, you have access to so much information. You might see stuff just out there. You might see like celebrities and sports stars. You might see stuff on, who knows, YouTube, other places that you are impacted by maybe in ways that you don't know. And maybe in ways that you don't know that are not for the benefit of your soul. So the question is for you who are in 7th through ninth grade plus, who, who, what are you imitating that you might need to check? Do not imitate the world. Because the truth is, here it is in verse 20 and 21, we are different. Paul says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him with accordance to the truth that is in Jesus... Then here's what it says in verse 22 through 24. Now, I want you to just think about this, old and new, and I'm going to have you write some stuff in just a second. It says, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's a mouthful. Now, what does that mean? In Christ, you are new. You were old. Did you recognize the past tense of that? You were taught with your former way of life. So what I want you to do at the top of your page, right underneath, be imitators of God. On the left side, what I want you to do is I want you to write the word old. And on the right side of your page, write the word new. Left side old, right side new. Now, let me give you an illustration. What Paul says is to put off your old self. This literally means to get rid of clothing and like not just drop it, but to throw it away. One of the regularly occurring times in my life that I want to get rid of my clothing is after I mow the lawn. How about you? There have been a couple times where like dinner is at the table and I'm like, I probably don't have time, so I sneak up into the kitchen and they're like, Dad, you stink. Is it you or the well water? (laughs) 
And what's interesting, when you come in from mowing the lawn, you've got all kinds of like shrapnel all over you from all that work. And if you bring that old clothing into the house, what does it do? It sheds, right? You've got grass clippings, you've got weeds, you've got all kinds of stuff that go all over the house. And what you have to do is actually get rid of that clothing before it shakes off throughout the whole of your life. It's like taking your clothing that are filthy, smelly, stinky, old, and throwing them in the wastebasket and getting rid of it to remove or to set aside. Because the old self, that old self of ours is being corrupted. But yet, here's the good news, friends. Jesus is making us brand new. He's making us brand new. And what's really interesting is it says this, put on the new self. The, the meaning of that is it's like sinking in, sinking in to a set of brand new clothing. Okay, I, I know you don't want me to say this, but you're about to go back to school. I just got some real bummed out looks in the room. But one of the things that's fun about going back to school is oftentimes that means that you might get some new clothes. You might get some new shoes. And I remember from being a kid, those were good days because it was like sinking into a brand new outfit, a brand new sneaks, whatever it might be, and like going into a whole new adventure. That's kind of the picture. You're sinking into something so brand new and it's more profound than anything that we can taste, touch, feel, smell, see in this world. And the question is this. What do we want? Do we want an old self that's being corrupted or do we want a new self that's being made new in true righteousness and holiness? That's the question. Okay, what I'd like to do is go through the next eight verses and here's the exercise. What I'm going to have you do is take that piece of paper and right between the words old and new, draw a vertical line all the way down your sheet. Draw a vertical line all the way down your sheet. I think this is going to help all of us to track, but most importantly, it's going to give us a really good opportunity to ask God, God, what is it that you want me to lean into tonight? Because as you read the Bible, one of the things that you see is there's a lot of stuff there, and it may not be that God wants us to pay attention to absolutely everything in every given moment. There might be one thing that God wants us to lean into, and I think that's going to be true for us tonight. So what I'm going to do as we go through this exercise is I'm going to give you a word to write in the old column and the new column. And it's the word right out of the scriptures. And then I'm going to read the passages. Okay, so here's what happens. Remember, old, new, old, new. Ephesians 4.25, this is what it says. Therefore, again, what's it there for? Because of who we are in Jesus Christ, we've been made new. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So, first words that I want you to write. In the left side under old, write falsehood. And on the right side under new, write truth. Falsehood. And truth. Now, it's not exactly clear what was going on fully in this church that Paul was addressing as he wrote this letter, but what we can derive is there was some untruths that are, were being told. And the old self is a liar. It calls stop lying to one another. This may be in the strike zone for us. Kids, maybe recently you told a lie. Adults, maybe you think, well, maybe I'm good here. But when was the last time that you embellished a story? Or when was the last time that you were late to a meeting and you said the traffic was just terrible today? And actually it was just because we didn't give ourselves enough time. Put off falsehood. Just like we're going to put off the old self, those falsities go and there's no pretending and no hiding. But here's the new self in Christ. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. 
The new self speaks truthfully, always. And the motivation is, of course, to imitate God, but there's an extra nugget. What it says is that we're motivated to speak truthfully to our neighbor because we actually belong to one another. We, be, we violate that unity when we speak falsehoods. Old, false. So it's new, truth. Okay, verse 26 through 27. And what's going to be true for all of us is it's going to be like ticking off the list. We're all going to get hit tonight <laughs> with things that we can work on. When I was in youth ministry, we'd play this game called Sit Down If. I'd have everybody stand up. You say, if you're wearing a blue shirt, sit down. Okay, if some people would sit down. If you're wearing a pink shirt, sit down. More would sit down until only no one was left standing. And if we played a spiritual sit-down if, I think all of us would be sitting by the end of this list because we're a mixed bag. We're becoming something better than we were before. There's old in us and there's new becoming of us. So here's what it says, verse 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So what I want you to write on the left side, two words, sinful anger, And what I want you to write on the right side is another two words, righteous anger. Is it wrong to be angry? No. But the question is, what do you do with that? And how do we handle that? It's really important to understand that anger itself is not a sin, but how we handle it can be. We read that God got angry. In Psalm 7, 11, it says, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. It's God's character, but it's righteous. It's for the right thing because God doesn't want us to do anything else but to love and follow him in life in his name. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. That's his character. He's slow to get there. It doesn't say never angry. It says slow to anger and rich in love. Now, Here's the new self. Righteously handle our anger. To be like God means to handle every situation and every feeling that we have in the way that he would. Jesus was the one that went in the temples and flipped flipped tables and cracked a whip because there was wrong being done, injustice being done in God's house. And he handled it the way that uh, he would. I think one way that we hear in the scriptures to not allow sin in our anger is to deal with it at the right time. And by the way, that's not always right away. Some of us may need to step away for a bit and cool off. Some of us may need to think and process and pray and get down to the feelings of why it is that we're feeling angry. For others, it must be soon. But what we're called with that sunset, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, It just means deal with it in a timely fashion. Don't let it fester and become something that it shouldn't be. There's an old way of dealing with anger, and there's a new way. There's sinful anger and expressions that hurts, and there's a righteous way to deal with our anger that actually gives life and brings truth and brings wholeness and brings healing to something. Don't give a foothold. Now, next, Ephesians 4.28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. This is a cool part of the passage. What I want you to do is under old, write the word stealing, and under the new, write the word contributing. It's the best I could come up with. Hang hang, Hang in there with me. Stealing, contributing, because that's what Paul is calling to here. And I want to get to the second half of the verse because it actually is really robust and I think could maybe be something new for you. But essentially, the old stealth steals. How do we steal? Maybe it's literally... Maybe it's literally, maybe, 
you know, walk into that store, see that bag of Skittles, and take it without paying for it. But maybe it's more um, kind of opaque than that. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe we're not fulfilling the full potential that God has given to us every day. Maybe we're not being diligent to use our gifts and our skills for the benefit of the world and to build up the church and to bless others in his name. Now, the new in Christ contributes. It means to work motivated by our faith, to be diligent, to put ourselves all in a position to help people in need. And that can take place in a number of different ways. In that time and in our time, there are people who are in need around us. And the calling is to be diligent, viewing our whole lives as a vocation, a calling to God in the work that we do, kids, the schools that you go to, everyone else, the work that you do every single day, it matters because it's putting you, it's putting us, it's putting the church, it's putting the kingdom in a position and in a posture that can significantly meet the needs of those who are in need among us. It's a parallel to what Paul writes in Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, we're going to keep going. Almost done with the list, and then we're going to apply this. Here's what it says in verse 29. And if you're still standing, so to speak, in the sit-down-if game, this might be your moment. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Under the old, write unwholesome talk. And under the new, write these three words, build others up. Under the old, unwholesome talk. Under the new, build others up. It's so easy to drift towards the old in this category, isn't it? Because if we have something that maybe we're holding against another person, we just want to tell that one person, right? Or maybe we want to tell more than that. But sometimes it's just like a thing that you learn that you're not supposed to know maybe that you just want to share with that one person. And then that one person tells another person, tells another person, tells another person. Or maybe something comes out of our mouth that's descriptive of the words here. When it says unwholesome, it essentially means rotten. So when we have rotten words emerge from our mouth, and we've all done this, and some of us do this regularly, when those words come out of our mouth, they don't build one another's up. Instead, they tear down. It's like taking a little pickaxe at the foundation of someone's heart when we say harsh things, when we say things behind people's backs, when we say things that just don't build one another up in faith. Our words have so much power. My words have so much power. And they make a significant impact every single day. But there's a new way. There's a new way. This is our new self. This is what Jesus is pulling us into becoming. It's to use our words to build one another up. When was the last time you did that? Like just grab somebody and said, hey, here's what I see in you. I see this good thing in you. Or when did you celebrate somebody behind their back? And build them up and affirm them and encourage them and meet their needs in that way. Now next, this is a little bit um, of a big concept, but then it says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now on the left side, under old, I want you to write flesh, and on the right side, under new, I want you to write spirit. Flesh on the left side, spirit on the right, old and new. We're always fighting ourselves. 
Like, I am my own worst enemy. I heard someone say a few years ago, the hardest person to lead is you. Because I'm always fighting, fighting my flesh. We're always fighting our sinful condition, our brokenness. And that's a big category. But when we allow our flesh, our selfishness, our sinfulness to get in the way, that's a sense of quenching in another passage or grieving the Holy Spirit. It's essentially getting in the way of what the Spirit wants to do to us. The Holy Spirit is always, 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 always working, prompting, nudging, giving us guidance, direction, reminders, filling our hearts with love. And our goal is to stay in touch with the Spirit. We do that through prayer. We do that through studying the Scriptures. We stay in His way and not our own. And now here's the big list. You ready for this? I don't really know what to tell you to write. Just grab something. Because here's what Paul says. Here's what we're called to get rid of. Those old clothes that we're called to bunch up and throw in the garbage. It's bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. That's a lot. We can't write all those words down that fast. But there was a lot going on in those believers' lives. There's a lot that's going on in our lives that isn't in line with the will of God. Just get rid of it all. And under the new, here's what we're called to do. We're called to be kind. Called to be compassionate to one another. That means everybody that we see. That means everyone in our immediate family. That means everyone in our extended family. Especially when it's hard. That means everybody in the world around us. That means everybody here. We're called to forgive one another. And here's the great part about forgiveness. We're called to forgive in the way that we've been forgiven. The same way that Jesus forgives us is the same forgiveness that we're called to give away. Here's the thing that I just want to emphasize after going through all these is there is an endless opportunity to explore and embrace more of the heart of God in our life. Amen? God is always working. And if we're still here in this world, he's not done. If we're still here in this world, you're not done. God is still working on your heart. We can always, always, always grow and become more of the person whom God created us to be than we were yesterday. And that's to be just like Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. Just take that page out. And I'm just going to leave it silent as I kind of give some prompters. Look at the page that you just wrote. Look at the list. Look at the list under the old. Look at the list under the new. Just look at it. Take it in. See those words. Which one do you want? Which one do you want? I'm going to guess that for most of us, probably all of us, we're going to lean more towards the right, more towards the new. Because when you look at the list on the left, it's kind of destructive. It's a little icky. And that's within us. But that's not what God is leading us to. God is leading us towards the new. Another question. Which one of those have you been living most in lately? Maybe that's a little bit of both for all of us. But here's what I want us to do. I want to just give us a moment. Just so that this lands for us. I just want to give us a moment to ask God, which of these things, as you like, look horizontally, the subjects, whatever that might be, whether that's unwholesome talk or build others up, flesh or spirit, whether that's others, as I look at the list here, 
falsehood or truth, sinful anger, righteous anger, stealing or contributing, which of those do you feel like you need God's help the most in right now? And just in a moment of bold courage, what I want you to do is to circle that. Just circle it. All of us have circles to draw tonight. That's the great part. There's an equal playing field here because we're all broken under a cross that Jesus died on to make us whole and new. And he's always working. Just take a moment. Which of that list do you feel like you need God's help most in tonight? Here's what I want to do. I just want to read verses 1 through 2 of chapter 5 and then pray because I know God is speaking that we might have ears to listen and motivation to take what he said for thousands of years in this book and just put it into action to become more new, to become more like Jesus, to become more whole every day. Here's what it says. Therefore, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And walk in love as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Therefore, be imitators of God. Do it like him. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for just your word. And thank you for your prevailing promise to not leave us where we are. What a gift. Lord, I pray that you just meet us all. I love the promise that you inspired Paul with that we are beloved children. As we are right now, we are beloved children of yours. And when we're in Christ, we get to imitate you. We get to... We get to just live the way that you lived, which was the best way. And so God, tonight, from seventh grade to 70 and beyond, whatever age we are in this room, would you speak to our hearts and give us the motivation to step into that new that you have for us, to sink into it, to help us to grow, to put off the old, and to just continue to be made new and to do it together, to do it together as families. Lord, would you bless every family in this room and allow us as families to take up this call together to be able to live that new and for this gathering, this community of people that are journeying over these few days, God, just help us to do that together. Help us to see it in one another and affirm and encourage one another and when we go back to our life in a few days, God, prepare us for that. Prepare us to live new because we are dearly beloved children who can be imitators of you and we get to watch the life that you bring. So bring us more life tonight, Jesus, we pray. And we pray all these things in your powerful name. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right.